Seltzer Kings Podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. How could you possibly hate the new podcast, Gavin? You have nothing to do with it. Look, all I said is I don't care for country music. It just sounds... Ugh, Australian. Cretin. The following podcast contains... You cannot say filth, flying filth, flying filth in front of people. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you decided to spend all that money on something everyone said would never work just to freak out the Russians, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 360. Here's some money. Go buy a Star War edition of the show where we talk about that time Ronald Reagan wanted to build his own Death Star. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is brought to you by Moishi Space Laser. Made by Jews, but it's okay for Goyim to use. Are you looking for the latest orbital space laser technology? Maybe you want it for missile defense. Maybe you just want to scare your anti-Semitic neighbors into shutting the hell up. You shouldn't use Moishi's space lasers. It's a 50 petawatt orbital deployment platform and it's capable of ground sync targeting a fully autonomous interdiction mode. Capable of hitting any threat on a hemispheric scale. Pole to pole, terminus to terminus. If Moishi can see it, Moishi can hit it. Stop living in fear. Get yourself an orbital laser weapons platform for Moishis and rest easy under the all-seeing eye and stabbing finger of Yahweh and Moishi. Tonight, consistent with our obligations under the ABM Treaty and recognizing the need for closer consultation with our allies, I'm taking an important first step. I am directing a comprehensive and intensive effort to define a long-term research and development program to begin to achieve our ultimate goal of eliminating the threat posed by strategic nuclear missiles. This could pave the way for arms control measures to eliminate the weapons themselves. We seek neither military superiority nor political advantage. Our only purpose, one all people share, is to search for ways to reduce the danger of nuclear war. I was telling a friend recently about the time my dad gave me the talk. You know, the talk, the birds and the bees. Oh, no, no, not that one. We still have never really talked about that. No, the talk I'm referring to is the one about global thermonuclear war. We're going to die, Dad. And the answer was yes. But it was okay because it'd be very quick and painless. Now, you might think this is a horrible thing to tell a 12-year-old child, but in reality, it was pretty soothing. You see, we'd recently joined the military and Ronald Reagan had recently become president and for the first time in about a decade, the idea of nuclear war went from, uh... Everything will probably be fine, but just... Quickly towards... The world is going to end. 
in about six months. So I said, Dad, are, are we going to get nuked? And he sat me down and basically said, well, not definitely, but if it does happen, because we are on a key military base that will be among the first to be hit in about 30 minutes after the first missiles were launched, and since that wasn't a nearly enough time for us to get to a safe place to avoid the blast and the fallout, he and my mom had decided the family would stay where we were when the bomb hit and the whole thing would be over fast and we wouldn't even feel it. And then we would be in heaven. He's with Jesus now. And I found this oddly comforting at 12 years old. Some years later, when I had joined the Air Force, I was stationed at a base whose mission was to get a dozen nuclear-laden alert B-52s into the sky so they could go strike back at the USSR in the event of a missile attack. Our entire raison d'etre was get those birds in the air so that we could take revenge on the dirty commies. One night, I was drinking with a grizzled old sergeant who was probably all of 27 years old, and I rather naively asked, so uh, Sarge, uh, once the bombers take off, what do we do then? And that wise old sergeant, who again probably still hadn't gotten his wisdom teeth in, looked at me and he slurred, We all die. We all die. And at 19 years old, I did not find this answer oddly comforting. Indeed, I found it quite terrifying. Now, I probably would have felt different if we had actually gotten Star Wars. No, 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 not that one. The other one. To understand what happened in the Reagan administration, we need to go back a little bit. What, no complaints from the booth? Nothing can stop you. Okay, then. The Cold War, of course, started about three seconds after we stopped killing Germans during World War II. Well, actually, it was going on during World War II while we were killing Germans. We just wanted to kill Germans more. It's more or less officially dated from 1947 when the United States announced the Truman Doctrine. One, people are not wearing enough hats. Because Truman was a haberdasher. A what? A haberdasher, he, he sold men's clothes, particularly hats, ergo the drop. Look, if I have to explain them to you, they're just not going to be as funny. Exactly. The rest of the Truman Doctrine was essentially that communism was bad, and America was against it. Because America knew better than the actual people who lived in the places that wanted communism. This, as you might imagine, did not go down well with the Soviet Union who thought that communism was good. And it was for it. And the Soviet Union knew better than the people who lived in the actual places in question whether they wanted communism or not. Thus, the Cold War, in which both sides tried to convince the people that they were right, usually by invading the countries, or if they couldn't invade them, they staged coups to put their people from their side in power. This wasn't new. Nations and states had been doing this for as long as human beings had nations and states. But there was one thing that made this time different than every other time before it. The atomic bomb fleet rendezvous for A-Day. Aboard the flagship Mount McKinley, commander of Joint Army-Navy Task Force 1, Admiral William H. Blandy, plans final details. The decks of the 73 test ships anchored in Bikini Lagoon are scenes of feverish activity as scientists plot experimental programs designed to furnish data on radioactive rays, flash burns, and blast effects of the mighty atom bomb. Both sides had them, and both sides kind of wanted to use them. 
Now, this was the way of things for about 20 years until a man who, objectively speaking, was just a real piece of shit human being, was a racist, a criminal, who literally colluded with foreign powers to extend a war just to get elected, and that guy became president. Who's Ronald Reagan? No, 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 we're not there yet. I'm talking about Dick Nixon. Nixon hated communists almost as much as he hated black people. But he initiated a policy designed to cool tensions between the U.S. and the Soviet Union that was called detente. So while President Nixon negotiated several treaties that limited nuclear arms, banned above-ground testing, and opened up diplomatic relations with communist China, again, Nixon, horrible person, committed criminal acts on the reg, but he did do a lot to ease us back from the precipice of nuclear annihilations. I mean, we weren't buddies with communists, but uh, that burning itching in our trigger fingers got some soothing ointment rubbed on. Now, this lasted for about 10 years until 1979 when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan. Uh, I think we all know how that turned out. Shortly after that, a new president came along who's objectively a real piece of shit human being. He was a racist, a criminal, and he would go on to literally collude with foreign powers just to get reelected for a second term. Could, could be George W. Bush. Could be, but no, this time I'm actually talking about Reagan. Now, it would be wrong for me to say that Ronald Reagan was irrational in his hatred of communism. Because it was very rational when you understood that Reagan didn't hate communism because of its many failures and the atrocities committed against people living under the autocratic Soviet style of communism. In his way, Reagan loved communism. How dare you? How dare I? How dare I? Ronnie loved communism because being against communism was a way for Reagan to gain political power. I seriously doubt Ronald Reagan read ever read a book more challenging than a little Abner comic. A what? It was a very old comic strip, okay? Look, Reagan wasn't he didn't have a philosophical or intellectual stance on the issue of communism. But what Ronnie could do was read the room temperature of American politics, and it was equal to the IQs of the kind of people who believed Ronald Reagan gave fuck all for anything other than his personal political power. They didn't like communism, so Reagan didn't like communism even more. Same thing applied to minorities and uh, poor people, even though a, a few poor people did actually vote for him. So the very first thing Ronnie did when he hit the White House was give Nancy carte blanche to redecorate the place. Apparently the Carters had hung up NASCAR posters and a bunch of Velvet Elvises or something. What is white trash about that? Don't call me white trash! But the second thing he did was embark on a massive increase in military spending. Carter's last budget in 1980 was $143 billion in 1980 money. By the start of Reagan's second term, that was more than double. Ronnie went on a buying spree like he was Kim Kardashian buying Pete Davidson some clothes that didn't make him look like he was 16. He bought tanks. He bought bombers, he bought ships, and he bought nukes like they were on Blue Light Special at Kmart. You see, Jimmy had canceled this program called the MX Missile. It was a brand new missile system to replace the perfectly capable missiles we already had, which could blow up the world five times over, with the MX, which could blow up the world seven times over. That's two, two, two times the fun! He expanded all the military services, and that's how my dad came to be an officer in the Air Force, because we needed more troops and officers to use all that shiny, cool new shit Ron was buying on credit. And oh, it was on credit pod, friends. 
you're still paying for Ronnie's military industrial supermarket sweep. In 1983, Ronnie had a big idea. Now, some of you might know this, but I bet a lot of you don't. Ronnie's big ideas almost all came from watching movies. The War on Drugs, the Reagans watched 9 to 5. 9 to 5 has the critics raving on overtime. Bingo! The comedy hit of the season, says CBS Radio. I'm no fool. I've killed the boss. You think they're not going to fire me for a thing like that? Playboy magazine calls it the liveliest office party of the year. And the New York Daily News says Jane Fonda, Lily Tomlin, and Dolly Parton make a terrific team. 9 to 5 from 20th Century Fox, rated PG. Now playing at a selected theater near you. According to an article by A.S. Hamra on bookform.com, quote, it was the use of marijuana by the women in the film while sharing revenge fantasies against their boss that angered the Reagans. The scene would have been truly funny, Reagan explained post-screening, if the three gals had played getting drunk, but no, they had to get stoned on pot. The Reagans seized on something harmless but elicited 9 to 5 that allowed them to justify their disappointment with everything else in the film and with what it reflected in modern life. The movie also reminded them of their opposition to the Equal Rights Amendment, but they glommed on to what Nancy later called the notion of drug acceptability. The First Lady alluded to it in 9 to 5 when she introduced her Just Say No anti-drug campaign, unquote. But his biggest, most expensive idea was a movie he saw in 1983. Now, my old heads out there will know that a little movie called Return of the Jedi hit the screens in 1983. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And actually, I kind of think it's hot when you call me Shirley. This bloated toy commercial of movies had two premises. The first, that an advanced technological society with the ability to exceed the speed of light and blow up entire planets could be stymied by three-foot-tall Muppets with literal sticks and stones. And second, that the Death Star 2 Imperial Boogaloo was protected by a powerful shield that prevented attacks, which is why they had to fight the Muppets. In hindsight, I guess we should all be thankful that Ronnie went for the giant space shield rather than breeding three-foot-tall Muppets, as far as we know. Now, some of you might quibble that Jedi wasn't released until May of 1983 and that Reagan announced his Star Wars program in March, to which I would say to you, you think Ronald Reagan couldn't get an advanced screener of the movie? And also, fuck you, these are the jokes, get your own podcast. Sitting in the Oval Office, the B-minus movie actor gave the speech to the nation, a portion of which you heard at the top of the show, in which he said this, quote, I call upon the scientific community in this country, those who gave us nuclear weapons, to turn their great talents to the cause of mankind and world peace, to give us means of rendering these nuclear weapons impotent and obsolete, unquote. And also see about the tiny Muppets. No, he didn't say that, but he was probably thinking it. Ronald Reagan called it the Strategic Defense Initiative, but everyone else immediately named it what it really was. Here's some money. Go see a Star Wars. 
The SDI system, which the White House and Pentagon angrily insisted he be called even while Ronnie was sitting at the resolute desk with a model of the Millennium Falcon making pew, pew, pew noises, was, according to Britannica.com, quote, intended to defend the United States from attack from Soviet intercontinental ballistic missiles by intercepting the missiles at various phases of their plight. For the interception, the SDI would require extremely advanced technological systems yet to be researched and developed. Among the potential components of the defense system were those space and Earth-based laser battle stations, which by a combination of message would direct their killing beams towards Soviet targets. Air-based missile platforms and ground-based missiles using other non-nuclear killing mechanisms would constitute the rear echelon of defense and would be concentrated around such major targets as U.S. ICBM silos. The sensors to detect attacks would be based on the ground, in the air, and in space and would use radar, optical, and infrared threat detection systems, unquote. Here, you know what? That, that didn't sum it up. Let this ominously awesome-sounding 80s narrator explain everything everything to you here an artist's projection of the president's vision banning into space a layered defense to protect the country from nuclear devastation u.s spy satellites would watch the world below detect soviet missiles blasting off compute the position and speed of each missile alert battle stations in space on earth the first response, space-based kinetic energy weapons fire high-speed projectiles from hypervelocity guns, intercepting enemy missiles as they are boosted through the atmosphere. Popped up into space, Earth-based nuclear-powered X-ray lasers fire their radioactive rays. Attack rays from land-based Exomer lasers are redirected by huge mirrors orbiting in space. Chemical lasers fire beams that burn through the shell of the onrushing missile. Particle beam weapons with pulsing rays join the attack. Still over the atmosphere, the missile bus ejects its cargo. Multiple nuclear warheads. Soviet missiles now arc towards the U.S. Ground-based projectiles are volleyed into space. Their giant steel ribs shatter the enemy weapons. The final minute. The surviving warheads enter the atmosphere above the United States, are attacked by laser-equipped planes. Earth-based lasers and ABM rockets eliminate the last warheads. That sounds fucking awesome! Words like particle beams, microwave energy weapons, kinetic kill vehicles. Oh my God, they were being tossed around the Pentagon like they were listening on to the traveler sessions I played during lunch at Jarman Junior High in Midwest City, Oklahoma. Is this a nerd thing? Yeah, traveler was D&D in space, but with math. But there was just one tiny little problem. Actually, there were many gigantic problems, but let's address the, the tiniest one first. This was in 1983. 40 years ago, have you, uh, have you uh, heard about any orbital space laser platforms today? I mean, aside from the Jewish space lasers certain Republicans believe exist but actually don't. Um, no. Well, if we don't have them now, we sure as fuck didn't have them back in 1983. 
An article in WeAreTheMighty.com by Stephen Carlson summed up the challenge in a look back published in 2021. Quote, The technical hurdles for a defense shield like Reagan proposed would be a scale exceeding any defense project ever attempted before. The majority of the technology involved such as weaponized lasers, electromagnetic railguns firing projectiles at extremely high speeds did not even exist yet and might not be developed for decades. It entailed hundreds, if not thousands, of advanced satellites and radars to even begin to aim all the weapons required to make a dent in the Soviet's vast arsenal. Reagan himself admitted that SDI could easily take until the end of the century to be put in place, unquote. What looked so easy when industrial light and magic did it on the silver screen was and is an incredibly difficult thing to pull off. 40 years later, we actually do have lasers, particle beams, and kinetic kill vehicles that could theoretically shoot down a warhead. Smaller versions of these weapon systems are employed in land-based terminal phase systems like the American Aegis Ballistic Missile Defense System, the Chinese HQ-29, the American THAAD, the American Sprint, the Russian ABM-3 Gazelle, and Israel's Iron Dome. But hitting a warhead about the size of a Volkswagen Beetle moving at 2,000 miles an hour in low Earth orbit requires computing power that even today is beyond us. It ain't like Missile Command. Which was an arcade game that came out before probably most of you were ever born. But just say... Theoretically, we could have had Star Wars and say, oh, 1989, by the time Bush Sr. was elected. What, what do you think the Soviets would think if we could suddenly shoot down all their missiles, but we still had our missiles pointed at them? Kill, they're going to shoot first and ask questions later. Yeah, that was going to be a little bit of a problem. You see, once upon a time, the United States had sort of a crude anti-ballistic missile system way back in the early 60s called the Zeus. Now, the Zeus wouldn't have worked, but that was okay because the Russians had their own anti-ballistic system, missile system that wouldn't have worked either. So we could still nuke each other happily until the Earth glowed like those little plastic dinosaurs that kids put on their bedroom ceilings. And since these ABM systems were so ludicrously expensive and since they didn't so much work, we happily agreed with the Soviets that we would get rid of them during the affirmation period of detente. In fact, we signed and ratified a whole treaty, the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty with the Russians, that specifically forbade either side from developing and deploying the exact kind of thing that Bonzo's best buddy was proposing to deploying and developing. And this little thing quite reasonably made the Soviets say, Yet. Yet. To the whole idea. But the boys in Moscow were not the only ones to... Uh, had questions. Our NATO allies couldn't help but notice the system as proposed only seemed to cover the North American continent if it existed, which it most certainly did not. It didn't take them long to rightly point out to their American allies that this idea sort of left them a uh, in the motherfucking cocksucking wind. Particularly the Germans who shared a border with East Germany and the rest of the Iron Curtain, and they could be nuked by one guy who had a particularly strong pitching arm. Their reaction was, Was zum Teufel hast du dir dabei gedacht? 
which according to Google Translate and my D minus 11th grade German says, what the hell were you thinking? That's your name, dude. Even if we could develop and deploy such a system, the system would only cover the United States and our friends across the pond were having none of that shit. And you did not want Margaret Thatcher pissed at you. Even Reagan was scared shitless of that iron bitch motherfucker. The Atomic Heritage Foundation sums it up thusly, quote, the allies of the United States in Europe, particularly those in NATO, were also alarmed by the development of SDI. Throughout most of the Cold War, American nuclear power was the primary deterrent which prevented a Soviet invasion of Western Europe. With SDI, the Europeans feared that the United States would no longer provide this defense. As U.S. Ambassador to Canada, Thomas Niles explained, Okay, so like, uh, you know, the Europeans there uh, saw SDI as like an indication that the, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the U.S. nice uh, sounders uh, had at least theoretically, you know, was interested in like uh, backing away from the commitment to Europe and uh, building like that their uh, Fortress America with this high tech system that would uh, protect us, but uh, not them, you know. And Fra French President Francois Mitterrand, God damn, I love French politician names. For example, was very vocal about his concerns regarding SDI. <laughs> I'm opposed to the idea of this SDI. I perceive it as um, a potential opportunity for, uh, perhaps how you say, a first strike. It is uh, obvious that the SDI will not replace nuclear weapons, but will become an, a substantial addition to uh, <laughs> existing arsenals? Although they protested the development of SDI, the opposition of the United States European allies had little effect on the program's development, unquote. The thing was, and still is, the reason we've never used nuclear weapons, aside from that one time when the United States just wanted to make sure they worked on little yellow people they didn't like very much, is that uh, if we did use them, that was it. It's it's like the old grizzled sergeant whose car insurance had recently dropped because he turned 27 told me way back when I was a young'un. We all die. We all die. Mutually assured destruction. Like the QAnon shitheads say, where we go one, we go all, and where we're going is extinction. It's proved a remarkably durable deterrent to Armageddon since 1947. So it stands to reason if one side suddenly had the possibility of not going into extinction, then your side should say fuck it and nuke the shit out of the other side before they develop the ability to shoot down your missiles. You didn't see that in Return of the Jedi, did you, you doddering old dipshit? And on top of all of this, no one thought this thing would ever work. Back to the Atomic Heritage Foundation, quote, The announcement of SDI shocked officials around the globe. To many, it was as unexpected as it was provocative. The Secretary of State, George Shultz, explained prior to the president's speech, even the possibility that the United States might seriously seek to defend itself from nuclear attack seemed outlandish. After President Reagan's speech, what had seemed outlandish became the agenda for debate. Can you be sure of an impenetrable shield, asked Shultz. What about cruise missiles? What about stealth bombers? What about the AT-ABM treaty? What about our allies and the strategic doctrine on which they depend? Under Secretary of State Lawrence Eagleburger likewise critiqued, the president seemed to be proposing an updated version of the Maginot Line, the interwar defensive fortification of the Franco-German border, which gave France a false sense of security, unquote. And you know who else 
didn't think for a fucking second that it would actually work. Ronald Wilson Reagan? Yeah. Yeah, it's a scam. Oh, I know that hagiographers of Ronald Reagan. A what? People who say Ronald Reagan was a fucking genius rather than a feeble-minded huckster. They all say that Reagan never thought of SDI as a bargaining chip and was sincerely committed to developing the program as, a, as an end to nuclear weapons. And But come on, even Reagan, who intellectually was slightly brighter than, say, linoleum, and they would never be developed even in his unfortunately long lifespan. But they were a good piece of propaganda. The Christian Science Monitor wrote in 1985, quote, when asked a straight up or down question, people for the most part say they approve of Star Wars work. According to many recent polls in a Gallup survey released this week, 61% of respondents said yes when asked, would you like to see the United States go ahead with the development of an FDI or not, unquote. Though, to be honest, even in the article from 1985, this was caveated like a motherfucker with the fact that most people didn't understand what the fuck SDI was, but just thought that Star Wars was really fucking cool. Nothing ever changes. But on top of that, Reagan knew the Russians would freak the fuck out and immediately start spending shit tons of money to make their own Death Star that also wouldn't work just like ours. His logic was simple. We had more money to lose on the project than the Soviets. Again, from the Atomic Heritage Foundation, quote, the Strategic Defensive Initiative was ultimately the most effective, not as an anti-ballistic missile system, but as a propaganda tool which could put military and economic pressure on the Soviet Union to fund their own anti-ballistic missile system. This possibility was particularly significant because during the 1980s, the Soviet economy was teetering on the brink of disaster. Well, why can't we just lean on the Soviets until they go broke? <laughs> Quipped Reagan, unquote. And if it was a scam on the Soviets, it was a double scam on the American people. Just one of many during the Gipper's eight years in office. By the time Reagan left office, the program had more or less spun down and it was officially canceled by Bill Clinton in 1993. But it continues today in reality. And you know what it cost the American taxpayers? $30 billion in 1993 money. That's just shy of $60 billion in 2022 adjusted dollars. And every single one of the $30 billion went where? CEOs, defense contractors. Or to put it in more simple and realistic terms, the fucking people that elect Ronald Reagan in the first place. And every Republican ever, for that matter. I am I not surprised? And on top of that, Ronald Reagan began the dismantling of every social safety net he could get his fucking monkey masturbating hands on. So the seed money for his fake ass program came from the poor and minority communities and went directly into the bank accounts of the worst fucking human beings on the planet. And if you think that wasn't the plan all along, then you probably voted for Ronald Reagan in the 80s and you're voting for Donald Trump now. Look, I'm a personal beneficiary of Ronald Reagan's delusional defense spending. It literally lifted my family out of poverty and provided us a very comfortable middle-class lifestyle 
where I could have my own Star Wars toys. Though I never did get the Millennium Falcon, but I digress. His massive buying spree enabled me to join the military, escape from a dead-end fucking town, and a life of sitting on the porch of a local store where my brain rotted from the kind of neglecting dimmick to small-town southern life. But you know, the money he fucking spent on missiles and imaginary Death Stars could have also done that for me and about a million other American kids if it had been spent on education, healthcare, and renewable resources and a social safety net instead of being poured into the pocket of billionaires. If it had been, I would very likely still be where I am today, but with working knees because trading your body for money in a vast military machine is a shitty, shitty trade for you and it does fuck all to uplift the society you were ostensibly defending in the first place. But hey, at least George Lucas got some money from the buzz of all this bullshit to edit out Han Solo shooting first. <laughs> that is it for our show this week. So what what'd you guys think of the new show we dropped in the feed? Did you hate it? If you did, don't tell me. It's just a fun thing my friend and I are doing and we don't want you coming around all Captain Buzzkill with your one star reviews telling us how much you hate fucking country music. How can you hate country music? Do you hate America? But if you did like it, well, you could tell me about that. Now, speaking of hating what we do, rate and review this show wherever you get your podcast. I can handle the one-star reviews on this one. See, that helps others find us, take a listen, and hate it just as much as you do, or maybe even more. And do all the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closer. Otherwise, we will have to target you with our orbital defense platforms. They uh, they don't have lasers, but they, they do have nerf darts, and a nerf dart from orbit would probably sting quite a bit. And so for me, Dave, witness the firepower of this fully armed and operational podcast, Bledsoe. Producer, the ability to destroy a planet is uh, insignificant next to a podcast. That, that doesn't make any kind of sense whatsoever. Gavin, and all the fictional space defense programs on this show, we want to say that hokey conservative politics and imaginary weapons platforms are no defense against the nuclear blast on top of your hometown, kid. And we'll see you all next week. What the hell were you thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings podcast network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Take that, Ronald Reagan. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.